This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast that, unlike the team we love, isn't going to take the first 20 minutes off tonight. It's time to do a little post or pre-game seven stargazing. And we're frazzled, but we're here, we being myself and our fearless leader, Taylor Baird. Taylor, how are you? You know, uh, I guess I am ready for game seven. I mean, that's the beauty of game sevens is you kind of have to be ready because it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. This team, I just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how consistently inconsistent they can be. I mean, we were joking about this while we were checking levels. Is there anything more appropriately Dallas Stars than the way they looked in the third period of game six? And that if you had just shown, you know, block out the score, take somebody that's never shown seen a hockey game in their entire life. And obviously score effects were part of the equation, mind you. But if you just show the third period to somebody, they're going to look at it and assume that Dallas is some juggernaut. Oh, that clearly this is, you know, this team won and clearly they're moving forward and clearly everything is great. And then you show them the first period and like, well, why did they replace the, Why didn't the guys that played the third period play in the first period? What, that seems strange. It's just, no, it's, same group. it's so, it's so fascinating because, uh, Pete DeBoer had his daily, and y'all, this is, if you don't realize this is happening, it's kind of the funniest thing about the playoffs to me. Pete DeBoer has to be made available to the media every day. Off day, game day, doesn't matter. He has to talk. And in Dallas, when there are only so many people in the media there to greet you to begin with, the questions get asked fairly fast. And so I had to go down and meet him um, on Sunday when the team got back from Seattle. And, you know, he was he was pretty jazzed about the idea of a game seven and, you know, saying, oh, they're going to be ready. And I'm sitting here going, well, they should have been ready in game six. <laughs> you think it would have been nice. I mean, maybe they were just so ready for game seven that they decided to skip game six. I mean, it was we're going to talk for the most for. FYI, y'all, we're going to talk mostly about the future rather than looking in the past, but we do have to talk. Like, it was real bad to start game six, Taylor. And I know that part of this is Seattle is a fantastic team. You don't win around in the NHL playoffs. So being like, there's, there's a lot of this had was driven by Seattle's excellence, but also my goodness, Dallas can self-inflict wounds when they feel like they need to. I do wonder if part of it was, did Dallas get, looking ahead a little bit like yeah. oh we kind of got this one in the bag and like you know kind of already thinking about that western conference final matchup maybe a little bit but at the same time as somebody today told me i'd rather see them have a bad game six than a bad game seven yeah no that's that's and it's it's also it's the infuriating thing about this team, right? Schrodinger's hockey team starts again because I could pull like it joked about it in the intro. If I showed you the first period, you'd say this team is doomed and it's a miracle they made it this far in the first place. If I showed you the third period, you'd just shrug and say, yeah, game game seven isn't ideal, but I you know I like I like what I'm seeing. I like the chances. I you know play that period ten times and Dallas probably 
scores a couple of goals, seven of those 10, you know what I mean? Like you can, you can selectively take moments to fit either narrative with this Dallas stars team, which is, you know, both a cause for, you know, it's, it's the, you know, remain, you know, keep calm and soldier on. And it's also the, you know, let's all freak out. You know, I do, I do kind of wonder though, there's good and bad that you can take out of this entire series. And I think the crazy part is we just, we just don't know what kind of game we're going to get in this game seven, because, Neither one of these teams has looked wildly better than the other. There have been stretches of it where one has looked dominant over the other. I would argue that Dallas didn't look exactly great in game five either, even though they won that one. Yeah, there were um, stretches. Very true. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, you know, and you kind of wonder, is it, you know, is the travel from Dallas to Seattle catching up with them with only, like, one day in between games? Uh, you know, are they just tired? Uh, is it mental fatigue? I would also argue that a lot of these things are self-inflicted, so therefore they should be able to fix said things. But I have three to four reasons why you should feel positive about Game 7. Ooh, I love, we'll do the, the Letterman style. Taylor's, Taylor's okay. top, what, four reasons not to be worried about the Dallas four Stars. Reasons. Okay, number one. Do you one. want a drum roll? That's a terrible <laughs> drum roll. That is a noise you make to your children. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is. We just did bedtime routine. It's right at the top of my brain. Okay, so number one, this entire season, Dallas has had games where they've looked awful and then come back and looked fantastic the next day. They've done it in the playoffs. They did it all regular season long. Not only that, but Jake Ottinger, I guess number two, Jake Ottinger usually follows up a not great performance with a stellar performance. So, yeah, these are true. This is this is very fair. Number three, it is rare that this team just destroys itself two two games consecutively. Number three, Dallas has not lost two consecutive games in this entire playoff so far. Not a lot of teams can say that. No, and and that's that's important. It's why eking out the game five victory to get the three, two series lead was such a big deal. It's, it's also, you can see it in my mind in Pete DeVore's demeanor. Right. And one of the things that jumps into my head is the, the debate around, uh, you know, Essa Lindell and Yanni Hockenpah playing, you know, being on the ice, I think for five goals um, last, you know, last time out. And some of the murmurings about, does that pair need to get broken up? Does does one of them, you know, Hawk and Paul most likely need to come out of the lineup? And hey, wow, they seem to look really good with Colin Miller next to Lindell. So I really, you can see that mentality reflected in Pete DeBoer. I think his response was, and I, I may be paraphrasing very slightly, but his, his response was, they didn't play any, any worse than anybody else did, right? And he's been very quick uh, when when Minnesota was sniping about the officials in the first round his response was kind of a measured well they they take the six most penalties in the league it happens he's he's sort of consistently refused to be drawn into situations where he overreacts right he's not taking a flamethrower to anybody he's not when he talks about you know jason robertson struggles it's all in context of he's getting to the right spots he's getting chances it'll come when it's hawk and paw and when it's lindell it's hey they played you know we won two games recently they played pretty well in both of those so he's very much driving i think that idea from the team of you know they they and this even goes back even remembering them from the bubble run right and bad things would happen 
and they would just kind of it never nest it never really carried over like they might have stunk on any given night but if they stunk it was because they stunk that night it wasn't because they were carrying a bunch of baggage from the previous game onto the rink and i think that's a pretty underrated skill and ability team-wide to have heading into you know tense situations you kind of lead me into my number four point yes number four Pete DeBoer is undefeated in game seven, <laughs> six and oh. Now, why is that important? One, I think that means that he has a really good message to get his guys prepared for that game, for the intensity and just the weight of what could happen, win or lose in that particular game. Two, I think that also means that he has buy-in from his teams. Like the teams believe in his messaging that they believe that whatever he tells them they need to do to win the game, they're going to have success with it. And they trust him enough to go out and execute his game plan. Um, And number three, I just think like having a tactical advantage over a coach, especially with home ice where maybe he doesn't have Lindell and Hawk and Paw matching up the way that Seattle was able to match up against them in Seattle he, he has a little bit more to play with where he can pull the levers and do some things behind the scenes to ensure success for his, his team. It, it's oftentimes, especially, you know, the, this series has been two very well-matched teams and games can turn on the margins. And that, that is one and a, a canny coach making the right line change at the right time. I mean, the, the series may very well come down to, getting Miro out there in a big moment against McCann or whoever is flying for the Kraken, or it might come down to, you know, managing to slide the the hints unit out in an offensive zone draw against, you know, a tired or a secondary defensive pairing for the Kraken. Right. And those things don't necessarily, you know, they're not going to matter if you're rattling off, you know, if you get up six to one or, you know, if, if it's Bloodsville, that stuff isn't always important. And over the course of a season, it doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't know how many games it swings, but when one game wins at all, right. When one, when it's one game to advance and the margins have been as close as they've been between these two teams all series. A shift here, a shift there, a tweak here, a tweak there. The, the tactical stuff that, to your point, DeBoer seems to have a really good sense for what makes this team tick. That could be the margin, good good or bad. Yeah, and I do wonder like, how many of those goals where Dallas got absolutely torched on bad line changes don't happen on home ice versus being on the road. Yeah, and we're going to dive into that. We are going to take a very quick break to say hi to the green team before coming back. We'll talk about those changes. We'll talk about kind of the outlook for Game 7 in just a moment. A message from the attorneys at Greening Law PC, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. If you have been hurt in a car accident, experienced malpractice from a physician, hospital, or were injured on the premises of a business, then call the lawyers at Greening Law. They have represented clients from car accidents to birth injuries to sexual assault cases involving clergy or hospitals. The staff at Greening Law, better known as the Green Team, fights your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about our fierce Dallas stars. The Green Team is your fierce legal competitor against insurance companies. So what are you waiting for? Consultations are free. They only get paid if you get compensated. So give them a call at 972-934-8900. Again, that number is 972-934-8900. Call now. Principal office is located in Dallas, Texas. All right. Thank you. Uh, Thank you to our partners. It's been a fantastic season and hopefully it continues. And I think I, I hear what you're saying and I agree. And that the ability to dictate more as the home team is going to be a factor. But I do think it's worth saying that 
a lot of what Dallas was doing in game six was self-inflicted, right? The bad line change. There were a couple of sloppy penalties that led to you know, not just power, power play goal, but some sustained pressure. There were situations where it was just the players not doing what the players normally do. And some uncharacteristic mistakes, I would say. Taylor, would you think that's fair? I think that's fair. And I would also, I do wonder if maybe, you know, like I said earlier, if they got caught kind of looking ahead a little bit, like maybe they just kind of were like, oh, we'll just come in and take care of business. All good. And and maybe just kind of forgot that that team doesn't quit. And give Seattle a ton of credit. They had to have their best game of the season, the postseason so far, and they had it. Uh, and every time Dallas counterpunched and tried to keep themselves right right in it, they countered again. And obviously, that's exactly what Dallas is going to see again. So we need to see Dallas with their best game of the postseason to date. And I think that they have figured it out in earlier games where they know what they need to do to beat Seattle's forecheck, and they've been able to do it very successfully and with very emphatic wins. I wonder if this might end up being the tightest game of the series. I mean, you'd hope it, as a Stars fan, you'd hope it isn't, (laughs) right, in a very specific way. But I think you're right, because at this point, this is game seven. I'd say both teams have really a good beat on what the other team is trying to do. And this series has been more, I think, a battle of execution than a battle of adjustment, if that makes sense. I haven't seen a great deal of change to the way that Seattle approaches, right? They're still rolling four lines. They're still hyper-aggressive on the forecheck. They're still trying to to play with speed, right? It's not that that Seattle is adopting a different identity to try and counter what the Stars do, and, and vice versa, right? It's more that... Each team kind of understands what it's up against and understands, in theory, what they need to do to counter. Where the series is turning is, you know, as we talked about, Dallas came out sloppy in game six and were a couple of goals down relatively quickly. And from there, it gets really difficult to kind of impose. You can't really impose yourself when it's three to one, right? So I think that's why, it, again, it's it's much more about if, if each team has a way that they can win and the team that gets closer to that ideal and how they play has been successful in, in six games so far. And so I think it's going to come down to can Dallas manage the puck? Can Dallas manage to get it out of their defensive zone with possession? Can Dallas cut down on and, and, and they, the game was already, you know, kind of settled by this point, but. One of the things that said, and it was in the third when they were playing well, but the uh, the Tyler Sagan holding the stick penalty kind of jumped out at me as emblematic of how Dallas played across the whole of game six. And like I said, I'm not, I, I'm going to, again, quote Pete DeBoer, right? He didn't play any worse than anybody else did. But it was a situation where Dallas had just scored, right? They tightened the margin. They they were getting some momentum. And Sagan gets caught with his hand wrapped around one of the Kraken players' sticks. And it's one of those things where, yeah, there was a board battle and, yeah, there was, and, and that stuff happens, but... It's that sort of, you can't do that. And I know that that's a sports cliche to say, well, you can't do that. But again, in a series that's been this tight and in a series against a team like Seattle that can strike so quickly, you really can't afford to, you know, you're going to make enough natural mistakes, right? Trying to keep up. You can't afford to add silly ones on top of that. And I think that was, to me, that play is how the entire Stars played for way too much of game six to get themselves any realistic chance to win. Yes. Yeah, so really what they need to do is 
they need to be the ones to get their game established first. They need to be the one to assert their will first. And to me, that comes down to the start. I think that Dallas, I mean, Dallas has yet to win a game where they give up the first goal. And so that's apparently super crucial for Dallas's success is that they don't give up that first goal. And it'll be really interesting to see how, if they try to play a little less aggressively so that they don't give up that first goal instead of just trying to play their game tomorrow. Yeah. And I think, you know, Seattle's going to create space and it's going to be difficult to get to that space because their, their four check is so very good and they, they take away a lot of lanes, but the successful stretches Dallas has had, if they can manage the puck, particularly in their defensive zone, in the neutral zone as well, right? But if they can get through that initial wave, then they're, they're consi- I mean, Max Domi is feasting in this series and he I, he's almost like a soccer player sometimes and how he's willing to move the puck backwards, right? And kind of play in three dimensions versus always forward or even side to side. And so I think if, if Dallas can get past that first line of attack, they're finding a lot of open ice and they're finding their zone entries and they're they're creating the the sorts of opportunities that they thrive on off the break. Again, it's just they've got it. If they don't get past that line of attack, all of a sudden they're outnumbered. They're odd manned. And I want to get into your concernometer on Jake Ottinger, who was, of course, pulled in game six. But, you know, a lot of Seattle's grade A chances seem to be coming when Dallas is sort of getting ahead of the puck. Yeah, my concern with Jake Ottinger is basically nothing. And here's why. I think I've just seen him all season long, last postseason. This is a man that elevates his game to a completely different level when the stakes are the highest. And I'm not saying that, you know, game six wasn't high stakes. I do think it was, but it's not the highest pressure situation that it could be. The highest pressure situation is going to be the one he enters into on Monday night, game seven. Like outside of game seven in the Stanley Cup final, it really doesn't get a lot a lot higher than this. And he thrives under that situation. Yeah, and also I think, and this is both a good and a bad, I think the fourth goal he would want back, right? The the Cartier, the, the wrist shot, sure. you know, pretty approved that. But, you know, game situation. To your point, I think you're right. I, I, have no, I have no doubt that Ottinger is going to be dialed in, ready to play, you know, his typical self, what we're accustomed to seeing. It just comes down to if if Dallas gives up, you know, the if if um you know Lindell goes to the ice, misses cutting out the passing lane, and then Thomas Harley misreads the situation and, and fades with the guy at the far post instead of attacking the puck, and you give Yanni Gord two shots from the top of the crease, right? Like it doesn't matter how dialed in Jake Ottinger is. If that's your consistent standard of defense, you're probably losing that game. And there's not, you know, maybe vintage Hasek, right. Or, or Eddie Belfour is going to help you out, but it's, it's going to, I think, come down much more for good or bad, right. It's going to come down to much more the structure in front of Ottinger than it is to come down to him himself. Because if it's, if the game gets to the point where Dallas is, is, you know, clinging solely on the performance of their goaltender, there's probably a lot else going wrong, you know? And I think this is where home ice advantage actually can give a slight edge to the team is, I mean, you don't want to get eliminated on your home ice. You don't want to put up a bad performance in front of your hometown fans that have supported you for going on a hundred games this season. No. You don't. Uh, And at the same time, right. You've got a fresh example of what happens when you get sloppy. And so if, if ever Dallas was going to come into a situation 
dialed into the way they need to play with their attention on on the details, it's got to be tomorrow. Exactly. And if it's not, my goodness, my goodness. And there's really, you know, I think, yeah, please. So this is random, but how much do you think from a mental fortitude side, it says that Dallas is not staying in a team hotel tonight like Seattle did, you know, for game six? Like that they're they're comfortable in their home routine. They're ho- comfortable in knowing and trusting that the players are going to come to the rink ready to go tomorrow and they don't feel the need to like sequester themselves. I like it. I, I think, you know, if you sequester yourself, what are you going to focus on rather than the, you know, the thing that you're doing the next day, right? So this is a group that I think over the course of this season, you know, the last series against Minnesota, the series to this point, looking at the pedigree of the players in that locker room, I think this is a team that has learned, earned the benefit of the doubt. And you mentioned earlier in the podcast, it seems like Pete DeBoer has a good sense for what makes this group tick. And if the leadership of this team believes that there is no benefit into doing the team hotel faux away game, right? Like you talked earlier, there's an advantage to being the home team. One of the advantages of the home team surely is being in your bed with, you know, you get to play with your dog, you know, hang out with your wife. In, in Joe Pavelski's case, you get to hang out with your adopted son, Wyatt Johnston. He seems like a pretty good dude. So it, it just feels like one of those moments where one of the benefits, one of the things that you fought so far, so hard this season was to have deciding deciding game like this one in the AAC. And part of that benefit is you're not sleeping in a hotel. And maybe if you've got a different read of the team and their mentality, and maybe if you think focus is an issue, I could see going, you know, going that route. But I just don't, for me personally with this team, I think, hey, everybody go home, you know, have a good night's sleep, do your do your normal thing and show up at the rink tomorrow and it's business time. Let's take care of it. Well, it actually plays into a really interesting quote. I asked Pete DeBoer on Sunday at the airport when I met the team um, coming off their flight. I asked him, how, like, what do you say to a guy like a Wyatt Johnson who hasn't played in this situation before? Like, how do you calm their nerves? And he, and he basically said, in some ways you don't want to curb their nerves because that is what gets them amped up and ready to play. He's like, and honestly, nothing that you can say to them is going to really calm the nerves anyway. They just need to go out there, throw a hit, make a shot on net, and just, you know, and then settle in and it's just another hockey game. And I just found that so fascinating. And, and to me, I just think that's interesting because I feel like some coaches would be afraid of harnessing like those nerves in that way or and like trying to control what they can control. Whereas he's like, no, nah, man, like nerves are part of it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, just nitpicking on Johnston, like this is a kid that's played internationally for his country. This is a kid who won a, you know, won a significant awards as a juniors player. It's, it is sure they that he, you know, he and, and, you know, the younger players haven't done this at the NHL level, but I do think it's a little bit misleading. Like, these are all athletes that have probably been on a championship team at some point over the course of their life. They've probably had to win a knockout game in a tournament somewhere, or they've had to compete for a lineup spot, or they've had something, you know, they've had draft status on the line. So the idea that they've never handled pressure and must therefore be coddled, I would be more concerned 
if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting there with a player like Johnston and felt like I did need to molly coddle him, like that would be, I, I'd be, I don't think he'd be where he is right now. I mean, you know, how would he have achieved everything that he's achieved if he couldn't handle a little bit of pressure? Yeah, I mean, that's true, but it is a different stage. And the other thing I just kind of keep coming back to is when when these guys are playing as kids and they're playing street hockey or they're at the rink and goofing off with their friends, they don't dream of being like a game one hero. They dream of being a game seven hero. Yeah. Game seven overtime to win the Stanley Cup for your hometown team, whatever. Like, that's the dream. That's the scenario they always put themselves into. And now they they find themselves with the opportunity to make that dream become reality. Yeah. And I do think there is a risk, though, in fairness, right? There is a risk that that energy turns and it, it goes into more, you know, you make more mistakes being overly aggressive, trying to be the hero instead of sticking in your role. And you know what I mean? Like there, there is some possibility that that energy gets misdirected, misfocused and manifests and, you know, you overskate a shift or you blow a coverage chasing the puck or you try and skate through extra defensemen because in your head, you're, you know, you didn't, you didn't go to sleep as a child dreaming of dreaming of making a chip pass to the wall to get a clean zone entry, right? You dreamed about doing a slick toe drag around the defenseman, popping the puck between the skate, you know, the skates of the center and then going five hole, right? Like your dreams are different. And so I do think there is some risk, but again, that's, the 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 way that this group has has handled itself so far, and it even goes back to the Hawk and Paw Lindell thing. I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't any you know major lineup changes. I think at this point, right, you're playing a good team. You're in a winner take all game in your home barn. To some degree, it's going to come down to you know what you need to do. Right? It's not like they've been flummoxed by what Seattle's doing. They've just been beaten by it at times. So it's one of those situations where hey guys, you know the drill. You know how to beat this. You know what happens if we don't go play. Let's figure it out, right? 60 minutes and and then whatever happens next. And I think to some degree, I like that mentality for this specific team heading into game seven. They're, they're either going to win or they're going to lose, right? And at this stage, it's going to be this group playing this style this way and hoping that they execute rather than I'd much rather be sitting here having this conversation than you and I be talking about, ah, crap, Taylor. What, what tactical rabbit can DeBoer pull out of his hat to figure this out, you know? That's not this series. It's who flinches first, right? That's that's gonna be it. I wonder if Miro Haskin and dreams about his ice time. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's, <laughs> he's gonna play more than half of the game tomorrow, I would imagine. Oh, so. I mean, that's, and I think this is where, if it, you know, one of the things we might see, this is where Dallas might see some dividends to Pete DeBoer's, you know, ice time management. We're gonna see the first line reunited, I would wager. And we're going to see them a lot. We're going to see Miro Haskin over the board just about as much as he possibly can be, right? This is one of those push all your chips to the middle, play your advantages. And at the end of the day, Dallas is, you know, three big advantages in the series are a line nobody can stop. One of the best defensemen on the planet and, you know, an elite goaltender. And so I think we're going to see DeBoer lean into those strengths and hope that the players beneath that will also, you know, come in and continue to contribute and, and do their parts. Winner go home. Quick cast because we've you know really not not much else to say right we we've, we've got got a big game coming up we'll we'll close with this Taylor what is what is your prediction what 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 happens tomorrow oh lord um 
what do I realistically think happens or what do I want to see happen or, me, or what is the worst case scenario? Give, give me all three. Let's just, we'll, we'll name, we'll name our fears and push past them. Give me, we'll go in, we'll go in order, right? What's your best case? What's your worst case? And what do you think goes down? Best case, 7-2 win, close through the third period and on to the Western Conference final. Worst case scenario, lose on a stupid ass play in fourth overtime because you're just exhausted. And also we're all tired, because, but at least we're starting at seven instead of, you know, 8.30 or nine. So that's the only benefit on that one. And then realistically, I think that this ends up being a 4-2 style game. And I do believe that Dallas is better in leadership. The fact that they have guys that have been here and done this before, and the fact that it's on home ice, I think Pete DeBoer doesn't have to worry about his streak ending tomorrow. I am cautiously optimistic to agree with you. I think you're right, right? Any worst case you can think of centers around discipline and execution and the team just not showing up, right? At the end of the day, what's going to kill the Dallas Stars is the Dallas Stars. I, as good as Seattle is, I don't think that they're, if Dallas plays their best game, I don't think Seattle is good enough to come in and beat Dallas's best game. And before you call me arrogant for saying that, Dallas doesn't always play their best game. And Seattle is absolutely good enough to pick through the bones of the corpse of a bad Dallas performance. So yeah, any worst case starts with sloppiness, giveaways, loose play, all of the silly stuff that put our heads in our hands, right? Best case is the flip side of that. If Dallas comes in and executes, they'll be fine. They, I, I truly believe that there's enough of a high-end talent advantage. There's enough depth. They've got enough in the tank, right? There's enough that if Dallas comes in and plays at their top end, they're going to win. They just have to. And to your point on the prediction, I think you're right. It's going to be one of those games. This, I think my my specific prediction is the scoreline at the end isn't necessarily going to reflect the character of the game. I think it's going to be tight throughout. And then we might get a couple of late goals to pat, you know, some of those margin patterns as, as one team tries to catch up in the, you know, waning moments. So it'll go, it'll be one of those games that's maybe, you know, two to one, two to nothing, three to one, something like that. And then through a bunch of weirdness ends up five, two, because towards the end of the game, everybody goes into super crazy overdrive and tries their best. So eight goals in the first period confirmed. Got it. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, with that said, it'll be over by 7.15. <laughs> uh, I don't think it'll be quite like that. But I, but I mean, neither of these teams have had a game. I mean, outside of the very first one, <laughs> they've been blowouts one way or the other. So yeah. I, I just, um, if you're looking for betting suggestions, not that I ever go down this rabbit hole myself, but um, whatever the money line is on total goals, I would bet the over. Yeah, it feels like one of those games. Definitely pick the over, and the best betting advice for this particular series is don't. <laughs> you know, there, there are better ways to flip a coin, but thank you, Taylor, for short notice for the Game 7 cast. It'll be, it'll, hopefully it'll be a good one, right? This series has been interesting, and, and I'd like for it to finish that way, and I'd like for it to finish in a way that gives us more stars hockey. KT, as always, for doing the hard work behind the scenes, knitting the podcast together. Listeners, thank you for the downloads and the likes. Please do that. Don't be afraid to reach out to us on social and make sure you're following uh, the new and improved DefendingBigD.com. We've got all the coverage you could ever want there. And buckle up. Here we go. We'll, we'll speak after Game 7 no matter what.
This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. 